Book four, part four of a Confederate girl's diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Confederate girl's diary by Sarah Morgan Dawson. Book four, part four, April thirteenth to April sixteenth, eighteen sixty-three. Monday, April thirteenth. Having nothing to do, I may as well go on with the history of our wanderings. When the cars were moving off with the handsome Mr. Howard, Mother turned to a gentleman who seemed to own the place, and asked to be shown the hotel. He went out, and presently returning with a chair and two negroes, quietly said he would take us to his own house. The hotel was not comfortable." and, without listening to remonstrances, led the way to a beautiful little cottage where he introduced his wife, Mrs. Kate, who received us most charmingly, and had me in bed before five minutes had elapsed. I don't know how anyone can believe the whole world so wicked. For my part I have met none but the kindest people imaginable. I don't know any wicked ones. Before half an hour had passed, a visitor was announced, so I gathered up my weary bones, and with scarcely a peep at the glass, walked to the parlour. I commenced laughing before I got there, and the visitor smiled most absurdly, too, for it was Mr. Halsey. It seemed so queer to meet in this part of the world that we laughed again after shaking hands. It was odd. I was thinking how much amused the general would be to hear of it, for he had made a bet that we would meet, when I asserted that we would not. After the first few remarks he told me of how he had heard of our arrival. A gentleman had walked into camp asking if a Mr. Halsey was there. He signified that he was the gentleman, whereupon the other drew out my note, saying a young lady on the cars had requested him to deliver it. Instantly recognizing the chirography, he asked where I was. Hammond, this is her name, replied the other, extending to him my card. Thinking, as he modestly confessed, that I had intended it only for him, Mr. Halsey coolly put it into his pocket and called for his horse. Mr. Howard lingered still, apparently having something to say which he found difficult to put in words. At last, as the other prepared to ride off, with a tremendous effort he managed to say, "'The young lady's card is mine. If it is all the same to you, I should like to have it returned.' Apologizing for the mistake, Mr. Halsey returned it, feeling rather foolish, I should imagine, and rode on to the village, leaving, as he avers, Mr. Howard looking enviously after the lucky dog who was going to see such a young lady. He told me something that slightly disgusted me with Captain Bradford. It was that when he reached the bivouac the next morning after leaving Linwood, the captain had him put under arrest for having stayed there all night. It was too mean, considering that it is more than probable that he himself remained at Mrs. Fluker's. We discovered, too, that we had missed two letters Mr. Halsey had written us, which, of course, is a great disappointment. One written to both, the other a short note of ten pages for me, which I am sure was worth reading. 
It was not until after sunset that we exhausted all topics of conversation, and Mr. Halsey took his leave, promising to see us in the morning. And to be sure, as soon as I was dressed on Saturday, he again made his appearance, followed soon after by the carriage. Taking a cordial leave of Mrs. Kate, with many thanks for her hospitality, we entered our conveyance, and with Mr. Halsey riding by the side of the carriage, went on our way. He was to accompany us only as far as Ponchatoula, some six miles, but the turning point in his journey seemed to be an undetermined spot, for mile after mile rolled away, rather the wheels rolled over them, and still he rode by us, talking through the window, and the sprays of wild flowers he would pick for me from time to time were growing to quite a bouquet, when he proposed an exchange with the farmer who was driving us, and giving him his horse, took the reins himself. I think Miriam and I will always remember that ride, the laughter, the conversation, the songs with the murmuring accompaniment of the wheels, and a thousand incidents pleasant to remember, though foolish to speak of, will always form a delightful tableau in our recollections. I have but one disagreeable impression to remember in connection with the trip, and that occurred at a farmhouse two miles from here, where we stopped to get strawberries. I preferred remaining in the carriage to the trouble of getting out, so all went in, Mr. Halsey dividing his time equally between Miriam in the house and me in the carriage, supplying me with violets and pensées one moment, and the next showing me the most tempting strawberries at the most provoking distance, assuring me they were exquisite. The individual to whom the carriage belonged, who had given up the reins to Mr. Halsey, and who, no doubt, was respectable enough for his class in his part of the country, would allow no one to bring me my strawberries, reserving the honor for himself. Presently he appeared with a large saucer of them covered with cream. I was naturally thankful, but would have preferred his returning to the house after he had fulfilled his mission. Instead, he had the audacity to express his admiration of my personal appearance, without a pause gave me a short sketch of his history, informed me he was a widower and very anxious to marry again, and finally, Larry's and Penates of the house of Morgan at Carrig, veil your affronted brows. You will scarcely credit that the creature had the insolence to say that he would marry me to-morrow if he could, and think himself blessed. For the jewel of the soul must be equal to the casket that contained it. Yes, this brute of a man had the unparalleled audacity to speak to me in such a way. Just then Mother, remembering her invalid, came to the gallery and asked how I was enjoying my lunch. "'I'm courting her,' cried the wretch. "'Glad she did not go in. Swear she's the prettiest girl I ever saw.' At that moment Mr. Halsey came sauntering out with a handful of violets for me, and turning my shoulder to the creature I entered into a lively discussion with him, and at last had the satisfaction of seeing the wretch enter the house.' A drive through the straggling, half-deserted town brought us here to Mrs. Grayson's. 
A large, old-fashioned-looking house so close to the Chefuncta, I think that is the name of the river, that I could throw a stone in it from my bed almost. Mrs. Grayson herself would require two or three pages to do her justice. Fancy the daughter of Sir Francis Searle, the widow of General Grayson, the belle of New Orleans in her young days, settled down into a hotel-keeper on a small scale, with stately ladies and gentlemen looking down in solemn surprise at her boarders from their rich portrait frames on the parlor wall. Fallen greatness always gives me an uncomfortable thrill, yet here was the heiress of these shadows on the wall, gay, talkative, bustling, active, with a word of caution or a word of advice to all, polite, attentive, agreeable to her guests, quarreling and exacting with her servants, grasping and avaricious with all, singing a piece from Norma in a voice about the size of a thread number 150 that showed traces of former excellence, or cheapening a bushel of cornmeal with equal volubility. What a character, full of little secrets and mysteries! Now, my dear, I don't ask you to tell a story, you know, but if the others ask you if you knew it, just look surprised and say, Oh, dear me, when did it happen? Because I promised not to tell, only you are such favorites that I could not help it, and it would not do to acknowledge it. And if anyone asks you if I put these candles in here, just say you brought them with you. That's a love, because they will be jealous, as I only allow them lamps." eccentric mrs grayson many an hour's amusement did she afford me a ride of twenty-six miles bolt upright in the carriage over such bad roads had almost used me up i retired to bed in a state of collapse leaving miriam to entertain mr halsey alone after supper though i managed to put on my prettiest dress and be carried down to the parlor where i rejoined the rest Several strange ladies were present, one of whom has since afforded me a hearty laugh. She was a horrid-looking woman, and ten minutes after I entered, crossing the room with a most laughable look of vulgarity attempting to ape righteous scorn, jerked some articles of personal property from the table, and retired with the sweep of a small hurricane. I thought her an eccentric female, but what was my amazement yesterday to hear that she sought Mrs. Grayson, told her it was impossible for her to stay among so many elegantly dressed ladies, and that she preferred keeping her room. Next day she told her that she was entirely too attentive to us, and rather than be neglected in that way for other people, would leave the house, which she did instantly." There was a singular assembly of odd characters in the parlor Saturday night, six of whom looked as though they were but so many reflections of the same individual in different glasses, and the seventh differed from the rest only in playing exquisitely on the banjo, too well to be a gentleman, I fear. These were soldiers come to call on us. Half an hour after we arrived, a dozen of them took possession of the bench on the bank of the river, one with his banjo who played and sang delightfully. Old Mrs. Grayson, who is rather eccentric, called, "'Ah, Mr. J., have you heard already of the arrival of the young ladies? You never serenaded me.' 
The young man naturally looked foolish, so she went out and asked him to come around after dark and play for the young ladies. So after a while he came, bringing six devils yet worse than himself, as the old scriptural phrase has it, all of whom sat on the same side of the room and looked at us steadily when they thought we were not looking. All had the same voice, the same bow, the same manner, that is to say none at all of the latter. One introduced an agreeable variety, saying as he bowed to each separately, "'Happy to make your acquaintance, ma'am.' Mr. Halsey just managed to keep his face straight, while I longed for a Dickens to put them all together and make one amusing picture out of the seven. I troubled myself very little about them, preferring Mr. Halsey's company, not knowing when we would meet again. It would not have been quite fair to leave him to himself after he had ridden such a distance for us, so I generously left the seven to Miriam, content with one, and rather think I had the best of the bargain." The one with the banjo suggested that we should sing for them before he played for us, so Miriam played on the piano and sang with me on the guitar half a dozen songs, and then the other commenced. I don't know when I have been more amused. There was an odd piney woods dash about him that was exceedingly diverting, and he went through comic, sentimental, and original songs with an air that showed his whole heart was in it. Judging from the number of youth too timid to venture in, who peeped at us from the windows, I should say that young ladies are curiosities just now in Madisonville. Tuesday, April 14th. Ah, another delightful glimpse of society has been offered to our charmed view. Such a treat has not often fallen to our lot. Good Mrs. Grayson, in her anxiety to make all around her happy, determined we should have a dance. I should say Miriam, for Mrs. Bull and Mrs. Ivy never indulge in such amusements, and I can't, so it must have been for Miriam alone. Such a crew! The two ladies above mentioned and I almost laughed ourselves into hysterics. Poor Miriam, with a tall, slender Texan, who looked as though he had chopped wood all his life, moved through the dance like the lady in Comus. Only now and then a burst of laughter at the odd mistakes threatened to overcome her dignity. We, who were fortunately exempt from the ordeal, laughed unrestrainedly at the melee. One danced entirely with his arms. His feet had very little to do with the time. One hopped through, with a most dolorous expression of intense absorption in the arduous task. Another never changed a benign smile that had appeared on entering, but preserved it unimpaired through every accident. One female, apparently of the tender age of thirty, wore a yellow muslin with her hair combed rigidly a la chinoise and tightly fastened at the back of her head in a knot whose circumference must have been fully equal to that of a dollar in addition to other charms she bore her neck and chin in a very peculiar manner as though she were looking over the fence mr christmas remarked 
Mr. Christmas had ridden all the way from Ponchatoula to see us, and if it had not been for him, Mr. Worthington, and Dr. Captivier, who came in after a while, I think I should have expired, and even Miriam would have given up in despair. The doctor was an old friend of Harry's, though we never met him before. Thursday, April 16th. Mr. Halsey brought us each a little tortoiseshell ring he had made for us by his campfire as a keepsake, and of course we promised to wear them for him, particularly as they make our hands look as white as possible. Toward sunset, in spite of prayers and entreaties from Miriam, who insisted that I was too feeble to attempt it, I insisted on walking out to the bench by the river to enjoy the cool breeze, and was rather glad I had come, when soon after Dr. Captivier made his appearance with two beautiful bouquets, which he presented with his French bow to us, and introducing his friend, Mr. Miltenberger, entered into one of those lively discussions about nothing which Frenchmen know how to make so interesting." No sooner had they left than, to our infinite surprise, the immortal seven of Saturday night walked in. Wonder what fun they find in coming. I see none, for we rarely trouble ourselves about their presence. There are but two I have addressed as yet, one because I am forced to say yes or no to his remarks, and the other because I like his banjo, which he brought again, and feel obliged to talk to him occasionally, since he is so accommodating, and affords me the greatest amusement with his comic songs. I was about retiring unceremoniously about twelve o'clock, completely worn out, when they finally bethought themselves of saying good-night, and saved me the necessity of being rude. Wonder if that is all the fun they have. I should say it was rather dry. It is mean to laugh at them, though. Their obliging dispositions should save them from our ridicule. Last evening Mr. Halsey succeeded in procuring a large skiff, whereupon four or five of them offered to row, and took us way down the Chifuncta through the most charming scenery, to a spot where Echo answered us in the most remarkable way. Her distinct utterance was really charming. Not being aware of the secret, I thought the first answer to the hello was from Pickett's. Mr. Halsey has a magnificent voice, and the echoes came back so full and rich that soon we appointed him speaker by mutual consent, and were more than repaid by the delightful sounds that came from the woods. The last ray of the sun on the smooth waters, the soldiers resting on their oars while we tuned the guitar and sang in the still evening, until twilight slowly closing over warned us to return, forms another of those pictures indescribable, though never to be forgotten. End of Book Four, Part Four